Good morning, loved ones. It's good to see everybody this morning. Um, I just want to tell everybody if you remember in your prayer lists or on your prayer chains or whatever you do with when you pray, uh, keep Jordan in your prayer. Uh, I'm pretty sure most of you know who Jordan is. Some of you probably don't know who Jordan is. But he called me a couple of days ago and said he was headed to Israel. So he's going over there for some humanitarian things. So keep him in your prayers, if you would, for his safe travels there and his safety there and his safe travels home. He's supposed to be home June, or not June, 22nd, the 22nd, the day before uh, Thanksgiving. So please, if you would remember Jordan in your prayers, that would be great. He would greatly appreciate it. And... Uh, and I know he would covet them greatly. So please uh, open your Bibles to the book of Colossians. We're going to take a break from our going through Galatians as we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper today. So please open with me to the book of Colossians. in chapter 1. So let's go ahead and pray and then we'll, we'll dig in. Father, we just thank you that we could come here today, Father, as your blood-bought people. That we could glorify you, Father, in our singing and we can glorify you in our giving. And I pray now, Lord, that we would see the glory and the majesty and the excellency of Jesus Christ in the preaching. Father, that he would be the center of our minds now. Who he is and what he has done for us. Lord, I pray you would press this heavy on us. Thank you, Father, that we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Thank you, Father, that you have done all the work in our salvation and that now we sit here, Father, as your children, adopted into your family and dwelt by your spirit. Lord, I pray now that you would open our ears to hear, you would open our eyes to see what your word has to say to us today. Father, I pray that our hearts would be cleansed, Father, as we do come to your table Lord, that there be no unrepentant one in here, Father, but we would be right before you as we celebrate this special time of communion. Father, convict us where we need to be convicted. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged so that you would be glorified in everything today, Lord. In your name I ask all these things. Amen. So, as we look at this passage in Colossians, we're going to be looking at the deity of Christ and who Christ is and what Christ has done. This passage is going to be very familiar to some of us, and it won't be familiar at all to any of us, some of us in here. But we want to look at it today so that we can see who Jesus is. So look with me at Colossians 1. We're going to read verses 15 through 20. Verses 15 through 20. Like I said, a very familiar passage. 
but it's packed full of very good stuff. So the apostle writes this. He says, He is the image of the invisible God, speaking of Christ, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So I want us to look at, first of all, is who Jesus is, what this passage tells us about who Jesus is. So the first thing we see that the apostle argues is that Jesus is God. He is God in the flesh. He is fully God, yet he is fully man. He says in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And then again in verse 19, he says it this way, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Now this word fullness means completion or means to be full or, or fullness. So the completeness of God was dwelling in Jesus. Jesus was fully God and yet fully man. So Paul argues this, that he is the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. John 1, 1 says it this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And then in verse 14 it says, And this Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, In their case the God of this world has blinded the eyes, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God the exact imprint of who God is 1 Timothy 1.17 gives praise to who God is to who Christ is the king of ages immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever amen and then in Psalms 89.27 says and I will make him the firstborn the highest of the kings of the earth. This is who we come to celebrate today. We come to celebrate Jesus, right? Who gave himself for us, but who fully is God. Secondly, we see that Jesus is the creator. We see that he created all things, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Everything that our eyes see, Jesus created. Everything that keeps us in awe, Jesus created. Even things that we do not see, Jesus created. Other galaxies that we continue to see, even within the angelic realm, right? Even in that realm, Jesus is the creator of all things. <coughs> Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 1 Corinthians 8.6, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and from whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. 
It is clear throughout scripture as we read that Jesus is the sole creator. He is the one who said, let there be light. He is the one who brought us into existence. He is the creator. And we know these things, right? We sit here and we sit there and we're like, yeah, we know these things, Mark. Why do you keep reminding us? Because they can become too familiar to us. And we need reminding. These things should grip our hearts as his children. They should grip us completely and fully of who he is. We should stand in awe and amazed every time we read the scriptures of who Jesus is. And this is why I want to bring us to this as a reminder. We have to understand, creation obeys him. We don't always obey Jesus. But his creation listens to him when he speaks. Listen to Luke 8, 22 through 25. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were, f and were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves. And they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that commands even the winds and the water? And they obey him. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine being in that boat with Jesus? And here comes this windstorm, and the boat is filling up with water, and you're panicking because you're going to sink and you're going to die, and he's sound asleep. So you go wake him up, and then he gets up, and he says, be still, and all of a sudden, boom, absolute calm. I think I would fear a little bit. I think I would be just as the disciples were, who is this that the wind and the seas obey him? And all he says is, be calm. Creation knows its creator. Do you know your creator? Do you know Jesus like this? That when he speaks, you obey? Or do you question him? Or do you ignore him? Or do you say, you know what? I don't agree with you. You see, the winds listened and the seas listened because the Creator speaks. Demons are obedient to His command. Matthew 17, 18, And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Luke 4, 33-35, And in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down into the mist, he came out of him, having done him no harm. Our Creator, the Lord Jesus Christ, has control even over the demonic world. The demons listen and they obey. He tells them to be quiet and they are quiet. He tells them to come out and they come out. This is our all-powerful God that we come to celebrate today. He is the ultimate creator. He is controls over diseases. By just a touch, we see this with the lepers in Mark 140. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling and said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, 
he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. You see, in those days, if you touched a leper, you got leprosy, right? So they were untouchables. But yet Jesus comes and he touches this person and he cleanses of him of his leprosy. And, and brothers and sisters, it's the same thing that's happened to us. When Jesus calls us to himself, he comes and he touches us and he cleans us of all our impurities. This is what he has done on the cross. He's taken all of our sin and he's removed it as far as the east is from the west. This should amaze us. This should blow our mind, what he does, who he is. He heals the blind. He heals the blind. John 9, 1 through 7. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. This man that was born blind had a purpose of being born blind. It wasn't because he sinned or his parents sinned, but Jesus comes and he says, the purpose was for this, so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And this was the work he displayed. We must work the works to him who sent me while it's day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with his saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. He touches the man's eyes and he sees. This is our great creator. This is the one who created all things, thrones, dominions. He's even the creator of governments. We have to understand in Romans 13, he is the one who is sovereign over all governments. He is in absolute control of what's going on in Gaza. He's in absolute control of, of Hamas. He's in absolute control of Hezbollah. He's in control of all these things. Why? Because he is the creator of all these things. And all things hold together. And all things exist for him. That means you and I, brothers and sisters, we do not exist for ourselves. We exist for him to do his will, to bring glory to him, to show his excellency, to proclaim his excellencies. Colossians 1.17, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. John 8.58, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am, meaning he's before all things. They were ready to stone him because the Jewish leaders knew what he was saying. They knew that he was saying that I am God. I am. I'm Yahweh, and I stand in your midst. I am before all things, and all things hold together with me, is what he's telling them. They knew exactly who he was. I mean, Romans 11.36 says it this way, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and amen. Jesus controls all things by the power of his word. He sits on his throne, high and exalted, and he controls all things by the power of his word. Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is not only 
God in the flesh, but he is the creator in the flesh. Thirdly, Jesus is the head of the body. He's the head of the church. I'm not the head of Faith Bible Church. Dick isn't the head of Faith Bible Church. Martin's not the head of Faith Bible Church. Jesus is the head of the church, period. Whether you are Presbyterian, whether you are Lutheran, whether you are Baptist, Reformed Baptist, North Baptist, South Baptist, East Baptist, West Baptist, American Baptist, whatever Baptist you want to claim to be, whatever church you go to, that pastor is not the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. He is the supreme ruler of the church. Colossians 1.18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Ephesians, Paul writes to the Ephesians, and he says this in verses 22 and 23 of chapter 1, and he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And in Revelation 3.14, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write this, the words of the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. This is Jesus. He's not created though, but he is the preeminent one. He is the one who does the creation, but he is the preeminent one. He is the resurrected one. That's what we read in Colossians 1.18 again. He's the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He is the resurrected one. Acts 26, 23. That the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And again in Revelation 1, 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. This is what he has done. He loved us and he has freed us by his blood, by his death on the cross, which is satisfactory to God. And how do we know it's satisfactory to God? He comes out of the tomb. He's the only one to come out of the tomb. He's the only one to come out of the tomb. We see Jesus in his work now. What is his work that we see? His reconciling work. We are reconciled to Jesus. This reconciliation is to transfer from one state to another or to restore. We had a problem and we needed Jesus to come to do this work. I love this argument that Paul pulls out. He says exactly who Jesus is and then he comes in and says, this is the work that he did. Which is great. This is all what we would call in theological terms or is an indicative. Paul has given us an indicative. This is a statement of fact. He's saying who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. Or what Jesus has done. Forgive me about that. So he's doing the reconciling work. Look at verse 20. And it says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He is doing the reconciling work. You and I needed to be reconciled to God. Why did we need to be reconciled to God? You might be sitting here saying, I never had a problem with God. But Romans tells us, if we go to Romans chapter 5, please turn to Romans chapter 5. If you have your Bibles or click over there on your phone, whatever you use. If we look at Romans 5, 
And we look at verse 10 of Romans chapter 5. It says this. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Paul clearly puts in Romans that we were enemies of God. We weren't his friend. We didn't always love God. There was a time where we were his enemy. And so we needed reconciling work to be done. And you and I couldn't do the reconciling work. We have to understand our sin. Our sin was just not a little blemish. But as we've heard before, our sin is an infinite sin. Because our sin is against an infinite, holy, righteous God. And so our sin cannot be taken away by a finite person. It needs to have an infinite sacrifice because it has to be infinitely appeasing to an infinite God. This is what we have to see. That is why Christ has to come and do all the reconciling work. He is the one who has to change the state. He is the one that has to reconcile us to God. He is the mediator. He's the one that does all the work on his cross. All the reconciling work is done because of him. He is the infinite lamb of God. He is the infinite sacrifice. It took the infinite son of God to take care of our infinite sin. We have to understand the depth of our sin so we will understand the depth of the cross and the work that Jesus did on the cross for us that we could never do. That we could never do. Ephesians 2.13 says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We were far off. Jesus does a reconciling work, and what's it do? It brings us near. He brings us near to the Father. He reconciles us. He makes that relationship brand new. We sang the song that we are redeemed. Right? We're redeemed. We're reconciled. This is the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5.18 puts it this way. And this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. So this is what we are to do now. Because we've been reconciled to God, we now go out and we bring the gospel to other people. We tell others about what the work of Jesus is, who Jesus is, and what he has done. We bring the gospel message. And we plead with others to be reconciled to God. We plead with them to repent of their sin and turn to a holy God. We plead with them so that they will not endure the heat of hell, which is true. Brothers and sisters, or if you're here new and you're not a believer, this is where you are headed without Christ. You are headed for hell and eternity in hell without Christ I beg of you today repent of your sin turn to Christ trust his work on the cross 
follow him. Ask him to save you, and he will. So now, as we take our time, as we come to communion, may this be pressed upon our heart of who Jesus is and what he has done. So I want to encourage you now to deal with your own heart. If you have any confessed sin, take some time now. Confess your sin. If you're an unbeliever here today, do not take this. The communion is not for you, but the gospel is. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for you. His death on the cross for your sin is for you. Secondly, if you're unrepentant in any way, don't take this. Let it go by. Heed the warning that Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians 11, where he says, Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself Every month I read this because it's not examining the person next to you. It's not examining your spouse or your kids. It's examining you, examining your own art, examining your own life. Let a person examine himself and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So please, I beg of you, if your heart is not right before God today, let this pass. Don't take it. But if your heart is good and your heart is right and you're rejoicing in who Jesus is and you rejoice in the work that he has done for you on the cross, then take this with much joy See the grace that is within it. The body given to you. The blood of the new covenant. That your sins are completely forgiven. So rejoice in the fact that we get to come and celebrate this. So take some time as we pass out the elements. Pray. Ask God to deal with your heart. Examine yourself. Dick, you want to come forward?